You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. We are currently in a series that we're calling Simple Faith. Not that it's a simple series, but that it's found, there's some foundational things that we want to revisit um, and, and we want to be able to speak into the so, sort of practical truths that shape the way we relate to God and shape the way we relate to other people. Um, and the, the, the first week we asked this question, what is my relationship with the Bible? What is your relationship with the Bible? Is it the standard? Is it the plumb line of truth? Is it the thing that shapes how we think and how we relate to God and to others? Because many of us try and make the Bible fit into what we already believe. But actually, the Bible should be the thing that shapes what we believe and how we relate to God and others. The second question we asked was, what is my relationship with prayer? Hugo, can you do me a favor? Can you come up here and unwind the foot on this? Because this is going to drive me crazy. Just probably that one. Just unwind that one a little bit. You're a legend. Give Hugo a hand. Very helpful. Thank you. That's good. My guy. What is my relationship with prayer was the second question that we asked. (laughs) Sorry, dude. Trying to kill you. Lord, we thank you for your presence. <laughs> we fix our eyes on you. Um, is prayer our first response or our last resort? Are we a praying people? Because if we're actually going to be the people who God's called us to be and become like him, we need to be spending time with him in prayer, but also to advance his kingdom. We need to be a praying people. When we go out on the street to outreach, we don't, wanna, we don't just show up and hope something happens. We want to be prepared in prayer. We go out to pray, and then we pray for those that we get to minister to because it's actually through prayer that God, God works. Last week, we looked at the idea of simple obedience, which isn't really that simple, but it is simple. It's simple because it was amazing to have uh, Taylor and Sylvia with us, and they shared some of the heart around simple obedience, starting from the place of abiding in his presence. That's what makes obedience simple. If we're trying to, to, to earn something through our obedience, we're always going to struggle at the unattainableness of it. But when we actually come to obey God from catching his heart from being in his presence, then everything in us wants to please him by being obedient to him. Everything in us wants to honor him. And for those of you who didn't hear, Taylor and Sylvia actually had their baby Sunday night last week, right after getting off the stage. I said to her when she came up, I was like, I think you can have your baby today. And she's like, no, no, that's fine. I was like, I think, are you having contractions? She's like, shh, just, shh. <laughs> okay. So if you are friends with them on Facebook, congratulate them. Um, reach out. Congratulate them in real life when you see them. But, hmm? Okay. They haven't been well, so please pray for them. And their baby's name is Raphael Zion. So, Raphael. Like a ninja turtle. Sorry, it's a great name. That's not why they picked that name. Get on with preaching. Preach the word. This week I want to ask this question of us in our Simple Faith series. What are your ceilings? There's a word in our prayer time about, uh, uh, Gabby saw a picture of a pot like a pot of water that was boiling. 
You know when a pot of water begins to boil, um, when it's boiling really hard, or when you turn the heat up, the lid begins to like sort of rattle. Yeah, it's like the lid wants to come off. When the pot's cold, or the water's lukewarm, the lid is just there. We felt like, I, I felt like this morning God wants to turn up the heat of his presence, the heat of his spirit, to actually begin to rattle some of the lids. Because sometimes there's ceilings that we have submitted to, that we've placed in our lives that stop us from growing and moving forward. But sometimes there's lids that people have put on us that have actually limited what God wants to do. And this morning I want to ask this, what are your ceilings? Are there things in my life? Are there things in my belief? Are there things in the way I relate to God or relate to others that are limiting my growth and effectiveness? That are holding me back from what God's called me to? So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me please to Isaiah 54 this morning, please? Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to read from verse 2 and 3 this morning, and then we're going to look at some other scriptures. But it says this, Isaiah 54 from verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Let your, the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, uh, will people the desolate cities. In this passage, the Lord is speaking to his people. And it's in the context of spiritual fruitfulness. He's act, this is actually written while the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. And it's talking, he's talking to them about preparing for something that they couldn't see yet in the natural. In the natural, they were in captivity. But the Lord's prophesying increase in fruitfulness. So they're in a place of captivity, but the Lord's saying, stretch, enlarge. Don't, don't let the, the boundaries of your captivity determine the size of your dwelling place. I think it would have been very easy for the people to say, this is impossible. This can't be the Lord. Just look around. Just, just look at the situation that, that, that we're in. There's no way that we can enlarge and, sh- and stretch out and strengthen. We're a people in captivity. But so often through the scripture, the Lord calls people in the spirit to prepare for what um, is not seen yet or seems impossible in the natural. He, he calls us in the spirit to begin to prepare, to contend for, to pray for, what he's promised, but what in the natural might seem impossible, might seem like there's no way that that can happen. This is not a um, take it into your own hands idea. It's a prepare in the spirit. It's to prepare your hearts with faith idea. In Numbers 13, verse 25 to 33, it has the same sort of idea of preparation and looking uh, at the promises of God versus what we see in the natural. Um, It says this from Numbers 13 from verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. So this is when uh, the the Israelites sent spies into the promised land to kind of see what it was going to be like before they were supposed to go into the promised land. Now, in, in, the old, in the Old Testament, that was a land. In the New Testament, this is a spiritual reality for us. It's not a place. It's a living in the freedom of God. But it says this. They, they, in the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people of Israel, in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. This seems like a good thing. 
Seems like a good report. They brought back word. They showed him the fruit. They showed him the, the, the things. Another scripture says it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Seems like a fruitful land. They, 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 they told them, we came to the land which he sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is his fruit. Then the next verse starts with this. However, now they switch from the promise and the abundance to the natural and the opposition. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, it's like, okay, now we're going to start piling on. You know sometimes when you get neg- negative, and somebody goes, yeah, but here's the negative, here's the natural, here's the reason why God can't fulfill the promise, and then suddenly other people start piling on. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree, that, that's not going to happen. Besides, I saw the descendants of Anak, They're, they were giants. There. The Amalekites dwell in the land, and, uh, land of the Negev. The Hittites, these are all these, all these other people. They're like, these are people with armies, and there's giants, and there's things that seem impossible. All the opposition, all the why nots in the natural. From verse 30, it says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Oh, my gosh. Come on, guys. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report from the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Okay, now we're getting, yeah, now we're escalating. It's like, not only are there giants and armies, and we we showed you the fruit, and it's flowing with milk and honey, but now it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw are of great height. It's like there was some giants, but now everybody that we saw are giants. And then they saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came down from from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. I mean, how do you know what you seemed to them? You were spies. They didn't even see you. Oh, they're all giants now. The land devours its inhabitants. We're like grasshoppers. They think we're grasshoppers too. I think that we also often have the response of seeing the natural or the opposition or the reasons why not. And in in doing so, we place ceilings on our growth and our effectiveness. We place lids on what God wants to do. We look to the natural rather than to the promise of God, and we actually limit the way God can use us through the ceilings that we have. See, Caleb, seeing the promises of the Lord says we're able to overcome it, not because of his strength, but because of the Lord. But the others say we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. We're not able to do this. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. According to the power of his spirit, he is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Do you believe that or have you put a ceiling on what God can do in and through you? Do we trust the Lord who is able or do we stop because of the opposition or the barriers or what we see in the natural? And I know some of us have very real uh, uh, oppositions that we're facing in the natural. Very real situations that you go, unless God breaks in, this can't change. But do we still trust that the God who says he's faithful is able, or have we given up and put a ceiling over what he can do? 
What are some of the ceilings in our lives that limit what God can do in and through us? Now, this idea of God breaking through ceilings, there's a presupposition in this. And that's why we've gone sort of week to week in this series. There's a, there's a, this presupposes that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. Because you can't break spiritual ceilings with natural means presupposes that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. The, the, the Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. A more literal translation is that where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. If the Holy Spirit is not Lord of your life, if you're not submitted to his lordship, then you can't come into spiritual freedom with natural means. It presupposes that you're spending time in the word and that you're responding to it, that you're spending time in prayer and in his presence, that you're abiding in him. If we're doing that, then we can ask this question, God, what are the ceilings in my life? Lord, what are the things that you want to bring freedom from? What are the things that you want to bring breakthrough in? What are the things that I need to submit to your lordship again? What's holding me back from believing that God is able? I want to share... This morning, a few things that could be ceilings, but this is not uh, by any means an exhaustive list. It's just some of the things that oftentimes limit us stepping into what God has for us. Um, but as we talk about these, I want to encourage you to be asking God, are there ceilings in my life? Because it's not for me to say, this is your ceiling. Sometimes, sometimes it's, I can see a ceiling, but often it's, it's things that I can't see in your life. Even as we go away this morning, as we go away this week, to spend time asking God, God, are there things that I actually need to bring under your lordship, that I need to bring under the power of your spirit, that you want to bring breakthrough and freedom in? And you know what? When we ask him, he's faithful to speak. He'll show you. But so often we don't ever ask because we don't want to change. What are some of the ceilings that can stop us from walking into the promise of God? I think number one could be control. Ultimate, because ultimately, this when I want to control a situation, I'm relying on my own strength rather than the strength of the Lord. It's saying that I don't really trust Him enough to have what's best in mind for me, or that I don't trust Him enough that His plans are ultimately what's best. So I then try and control a situation, I try and influence the situation uh, or, or relationship to what I think is best rather than trusting the Lord and trusting others. Someone said this, there's an inverse relationship between control and growth. What does that mean? The more I try to control something, the less it grows. Think of a bonsai plant. If you limit it the pot size, it will only grow to a certain amount. If I try and control my marriage, it doesn't grow and flourish the way that God's God's, so this is in any situation. The more I try and control something, the less life there is. If I try and control you, the less life there is. If, I try, if we try and control the church, the less God can do. If we try and control a meeting and say, it has to look like this, rather than letting the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do, the less life there is. It's true in our own lives. It's true in the lives of people around us. It's true in the lives of people that we're leading. 
It's true of a church. It's true of a, an organization. Control is born of insecurity and lack of identity in Christ. If you recognize an area of control in your life where you're like, if it has to be my way or no way, then can I suggest that there, there, there is something of insecurity or a lack of identity in Christ that he's wanting to work out. It's a ceiling. It's a lid that he wants to bring breakthrough to. The good news in all these is that there's freedom for you today. There's freedom for you. That's why we're identifying this. That's why we call it simple faith. Because these are simple things that if we're willing to be honest about, he's going to bring freedom. But if we're not willing to be honest about, then we just go around the same mountain. And you'll sit with me in a year's time or two years' time, or you'll sit with one of the other leaders and say, why is this still happening? And we'll say, well, it's the same thing that was happening two years ago. But now you're just willing to talk about it. Is that too honest? It's true. The spies that went to the promised land wanted to control the situation, and they couldn't see how they could do it in their own strength, which they couldn't, rather than trusting the promises of the Lord. We can't see a way to overcome these giants, rather than God said, this is the promised land and I'll make a way. We break the ceiling of control by finding our security in Christ and giving him control. Understand that? So rather than I need to be in control, no, it's Jesus is in control. I trust that he's faithful. Jesus, I give you control of my life. I want to say what you say. I want to go where you tell me to go. I want to do what you've told me to do because I actually believe that your way is better than my way. We break control by learning to trust him and his promises and his timing. Another ceiling, possible ceiling. First one could be control. Another one is comparison. Comparison kills the life and the joy of the Lord. Have you ever been tempted to compare yourself with somebody else? Have you ever been tempted to do that in church? Oh man, if only I could be like Dave. He's so pastoral. He's so good at outreach. He's a worshiper. If I could just, he's like, he's like David in the Bible. If I could just be like Dave in all the good parts of David in the Bible, not the bad parts, not the murdering and the other things. And if only I could be like Dave. Have you ever done that? When Jesus is walking with the disciples, they're walking along, talking. So, so, so Jesus is there. He's walking. And the disciples, while he's there, are talking about which one of them will be the greatest. Imagine that. I wonder what Jesus was thinking. He's like, come on, guy. I'm, I'm right here. I'm like, I'm here. Comparison. Do you think they had their eyes on Jesus in that moment? Which one of us will be the great? Which one of us can sit at your right hand and at your left hand? In the, but forget the other, other guys. You know, tell us which one's going to be better than the rest of them. Do you ever think like that? Even at the Last Supper. Right before Jesus dies, they're still asking themselves. He's like, when are you going to betray me? You know, I'm going to the cross. And they're still going, well, which one of us is going to be the greatest, though? Forget the betraying guy. He's, already, he's obviously on the way out. Of the rest of us, who's going to be the greatest? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse, verse uh, 12 to 13. Not that we dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves by one another, they are without understanding, or some translations say they are not wise. 
But we will not boast beyond our limits. We will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us, to reach even to you. Comparison is a ceiling that will destroy what God wants to do in your life. Stop comparing yourself with the person next to you. Stop comparing this church with that church. It's not about, are we better than that church? Have we got, you know, are they better than us? Forget it. They have a call. We have a call. Honor them. Honor what God's doing here. And stop comparing because it kills what God wants to do. And then some of us have come and we, we, we carry some church hurt into our current situation. And I pray that God will set you free from that hurt. But we're not that church. And we're not better than that church. We might be different. We have a different call. But stop comparing us. Because it's limiting. It puts a ceiling on what God wants to do in you and through us. Stop wishing you had what somebody else has. You don't know what they've been through to have to get there. It'll kill what God wants to do. And it will ultimately kill you if you live in a place of comparison. I heard somebody say, if we could only... If our church could only walk in the, 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 the fruit and the blessing of what Bethel's walking in. So Bill Johnson's hearing this story. And he said, do you know that for 20 years, we lost people? We were a tiny church. We were crying out for revival and for breakthrough. And every time we'd grow 100 people, we'd have 100 people leave. We didn't just go, boom, we're here. We're making CDs and people are coming for conferences. He goes, for 20 years. He goes, everyone hated us. Everyone left us. Nobody wanted anything to do with us. And then we don't know what changed. We just kept pursuing Jesus and crying out for revival. And one day God, 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 God was gracious and something happened. And we all want to walk in that end product without the 20 years of, uh, 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 of crying out and being on our knees and hurt and pain and hardship. We just want the result. Oof, preaching now, sorry. I'm not sorry, but I am sorry. Prejudice. I'm going to hit all the big ones. Control. Comparison. Pride and prejudice. Whenever Paul preaches, I don't think he could ever say pride or prejudice without saying pride and prejudice. And I just found out why, because I just said prejudice, like, and pride and prejudice. It's contagious. Luke 5. Actually, just on, on that, Paul sent a message this morning saying, because he's in New Zealand ministering, and they're a few hours ahead of us, that they had many people get saved this morning, that they had people get healed and set free. Um, so thank you for praying for the, the time. We love that we get to send people to minister in other places. It's part of our inheritance. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. What is a prejudice can be a ceiling that limits us. It says this, after he went out and saw a tax collector, let's talk about Jesus, named Levi, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And, uh, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast at his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's the point of this passage? The point is not that there are certain people who don't need Jesus. 
because we all need Jesus. The point is this, that when we're self-righteous and we don't see our need for Jesus, when we're self-righteous, we don't see our need for Jesus, and we look at others as not worthy of his sacrifice. I'm gonna ask you this question. Who in your life is your metaphorical tax collector or sinner? See, at that time, people didn't like tax collectors because they often cheated people. And they, the, the religious people were looking at the sinners and going, why are you associating with them? People might look at us when we go out on the street and say, why would you go minister to the people that are on the street? That it's in the same place. Don't you know that when you give them money that it's going to use it for drugs or for other things? You know why we go to minister to them? Because Jesus loves them. It's not my responsibility what they do with the blessing. It's my responsibility that I show them the love of Jesus. And we pray for freedom to come. And we journey with them. Who in your life is your metaphorical tax collector or sinner? Who do you look at as less worthy of Jesus' sacrifice? Because if there's self-righteousness in your life, then there'll be prejudice in your life. And you'll look at other people as not as worthy of his sacrifice. That's what the Pharisees were saying to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with these guys? They're not as worthy of your time as we are. And most of the church has this idea because we love to come to church and sit with other Christians and other believers who seemingly have it all together, but we never want to go out and share the gospel with anyone else because they're not as worthy of our time or his sacrifice. Think of the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. This parable, the parable is somebody gets, uh, gets bashed by robbers and then like a religious guy comes along, a rabbi comes along and he doesn't help the guy. Someone else comes along and doesn't help the guy. But the Samaritan comes and he helps him and he bandages him up. This was highly offensive to the people that Jesus was talking to. And he did it on purpose because the Jews hated the Samaritans. They didn't think they were worthy. They thought they were uh, a, a lower class citizens. So Jesus chooses them to make the point of where's your prejudice. They're just as worthy as, as, as you are. Who's your metaphorical tax collector or sinner? Maybe it's somebody of a different nationality. If you have a nationality that just came into your head, that's the one. Maybe it's people who are sinning in a specific way. Maybe it's the drug act, addict. Maybe it's the person struggling with same-sex attraction. Maybe it's the adulterer. There you go. They're not worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. Can I, can I be cheeky, given the last few years we've been through? Maybe you think it's the vaccinated or the unvaccinated. I only put it out there because I've heard some of you say it. Prejudice is a ceiling that will limit the life of God in your life and in what he's called us to as a church. Paul says there's no, there's no Jew nor Greek. He says, in Christ, we are equal. I wish that we would hold that same value, that in Christ, we are equal. You guys got real quiet. We have to ask God for his heart to love people. 
I've got to give you a few other ones real quickly. Just so, some ideas of what ceilings could be. Maybe it's lack of team. Actually, I'm an individualist rather than a team player. What that, what, what that says is this. I don't actually believe in, uh, that God's pattern is team. I'm better on my own than with others. Do you think that? God models team at every level. In his character, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The no less God. Just so you know, it's not Father, Son, and little brother, Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. If you've got a problem with that, then I'll, I'll come to me and I'll argue it with you. And I'll show you in the Bible. Because if you don't get this, you're not going to get what God wants to do. A lot of us have been taught it's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. We value the Bible, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just so you know. He models team. He models team right throughout Scripture. We see husband and wife. We see plurality of elders and leaders, the priesthood of all believers, the body of Christ. The church itself should be team. He sends out the disciples two by two. He could have sent them out one by one, but he sent them out two by two. Why? Because he values Team, team is God's plan, but if we don't truly believe that, or if we hold back because of hurt or offense, very real hurt or offense, then we put a ceiling on what God can do in us and through our lives. Yes, it can be easier to do it alone, but you won't go as far, and you won't have as much impact in the long term as you do if you'll do it together with other people. Ministering and working in team takes trust. It takes time. When we go out on the streets, I'm only using the streets as an example because it's today and we're doing it after this, but we go in team. And we've had many people come at different times and we say we go in team, we do it together, let's go in twos or threes, and they go off on their own. And it's not, I mean, we, we should be ministering to people every day in every way. But when we go out, we want to go out together. And when we go off on our own, we reveal our heart that I actually don't get God's value for team. Another, another ceiling could be lack of prayer. We talked about this the, the other week, um, that a lack of prayer shows a lack of faith in the faithfulness of God. Or I believe that I can do it myself. I can make it happen in my own strength. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's tiredness. You go, ooh. Maybe there's a ceiling of tiredness. I think actually in our Western culture, tiredness is a really big ceiling that can hold us back from what God has for us. It becomes the thing that so often stops our growth and effectiveness. Now, I, yeah, I get that there's seasons, and I get that there's times, but so often we become so busy in life that we don't make time to rest or to have a break or to abide in the rest of the Lord or to spend time in his presence. Um, we, we don't make space to spend with God. We don't, we're not intentional about it. We don't plan and save to have a holiday. We stay fresh so we can stay faithful and fruitful. Jesus withdrew many times throughout Scripture. He withdrew before a major task to prepare. He withdrew, uh, I can give you Scripture references, I'll put them in the newsletter. Um, to recharge after hard work, he withdrew to work through grief. He, he withdrew to, uh, before making important decisions to pray um, in times of distress, to focus on prayer. He made time in his life to be with, be with his father, and to be refreshed so that he could minister. The danger of talking about tiredness as a ceiling in our Western culture is that if we're immature, 
We see it as an excuse to pull back from the things of God that, that he's called us to rather than dealing with the things in our life that are really the distractions. So even in saying this, you might go, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm tired, so, now I'm, I, so I'm not gonna come to church. I'm not gonna go to discipleship. I'm not gonna serve. I'm not gonna do those things. That won't make you less tired. That will just drain you more. That'll make you less effective. We stop gathering with believers. We stop being discipled. But we still go do all the other things. If we're going to go in Christ, if we're going to be effective in the kingdom, we have to make room in our lives for the things that matter to God first. We have to be intentional about our schedules. Nobody likes talking about intentionality. But if you don't plan for a holiday, you'll never have a holiday. If you don't plan time in your day to spend with the Lord, then the enemy will eat it up because it's a spiritual battle. Other things will happen if you don't plan that time. If you don't plan time in your week to have a little bit of space, a little bit of buffer for what if God wants you to stop at the shops and talk to somebody? What if God says, you know, actually, you know what? On the way to, to work, he highlights somebody. If we have no buffer in our life, if we're not intentional about our time, we just zoom by all the opportunities that God wants and we're going, God, give us the lost. God, help us reach the lost. And he's like, I'm putting him in front of you and you're walking right by him. Don't ask for any more lost until you're willing to make some time to stop for the one that's right there. Some of you guys just need to plan, and maybe it needs to be a year away because you just need some time to save, to have a holiday. We're not anti-holiday in this church. So, I don't know who that was, but okay. You can have a cheap holiday. Okay, I'm not saying you need to go spend thousands of dollars and go camping. Just plan some time off to spend with the Lord. That's not a holiday for me, just so you know. Please don't book me a camping trip. I don't want to camp. Our boys slept in swags in the backyard last night. They liked it. Well, Henry liked it. Hugo wasn't so sure. Um, that is not my idea of a good holiday. But for some of you, that might be an amazing holiday, and that's what you should do. But if you don't plan, and you don't save, and you don't put some things in place, it will never happen, and you'll get burnt out, and you get fed up, and you start to pull back from the things that God's called you to, because we just do work, sleep, work, sleep, work, sleep, work, sleep. There's no space in our life to minister to people. There's no space in our life to be refreshed in his presence, and we, hmm? <laughs> I think Elodie's agreeing with me, but she was doing this and this at the same time, and I wasn't sure if she was rebuking me for preaching too much and telling me to stop or whether she was agreeing with my point or making another point. <laughs> All of the above. C. <laughs> Esteem. That's marriage. Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you agreeing or not agreeing? Yes. <laughs> These are just some examples. It could be lots of other things. could be anything. Not understanding your identity as a son or daughter. Not trusting God as your provider in every area. There could be sin in our lives. It could be offense with people. Bitterness, brokenness, pain from past experiences. So there's a lot of things that can be ceilings. I just wanted to throw a few out there that I felt God highlight. But the challenge for us is this. Will you ask the Lord to show you what the ceilings are in your life? And then ask him to break them. Will you ask the Lord where possibly you've looked to the natural rather than the promise?
We don't get focused on the ceilings and take our eyes off of Jesus. The answer is not ceiling focus. The answer is the Spirit being Lord. We keep our eyes fixed upon Him because He wants to bring freedom so that we can keep becoming more like Him and be effective. Hosea 6, verse 3, I'll end with this. It says, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. He is faithful. And he wants to bring freedom. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.